electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. We have a lot of key earnings coming out in just a few minutes. Names like Starbucks, PayPal, and Coinbase will bring you those breaking reports as soon as we have them. Plus, Cantor's Eric Johnston changing his call on the market. He'll join us to explain why. But we begin with our talk of the tape. Fed reckoning day two. Stocks struggling with another blast from a hawkish Fed and bond yields pushing back toward the year's highs as the Nasdaq hovers just above its bear market low. So will the broader market have to follow? Let's bring in Stephanie Link of Hightower Advisors. Stephanie also, of course, a CNBC contributor. Um, it's great Steph, to see you. Yes, you too. And uh, a familiar story, I yeah. guess, one way or the other, right, that the market kind of gears up for perhaps a little bit of daylight uh, from the Fed. Maybe we can see the destination where we're headed. Uh, Jay Powell says not so fast. That being said, today didn't feel like an all-out uh, run for the exits, kind of rotational. How do you read it? It's a confusing time, Mike, right? We're in this choppy trading range. We've been talking about it all year, 3,600 to 4,200, right? I mean, I kind of thought yesterday when we got the statement, I think all of us were breathing a sigh of relief because it did all of a sudden introduce, hey, we get it. There's a lag impact to higher interest rates by about six to nine to 12 months. So while we're, we don't, so that was the good news. And then we heard from Powell and no pivot no pause, higher rates, higher terminal rates. I mean, across the board, you guys have been talking about it all day. And here's the thing. I mean, they can be hawkish because the job market and the job data that we keep getting every day this week has been actually strong or stronger than expected. We had initial claims today down 27% on a four-week moving average on a year-over-year basis, right? On top of jolts, on top of ADP, uh, all of that kind of thing. And at the same time, so since jobs is okay, and that's one of their mandates, they're now focusing on inflation. And they're behind the curve because I don't care what we say. It could be peak at this point in time, but it's still awfully high. I mean, look at the unit labor cost numbers from today at 6.1% year over year. And even in the ISM prices paid numbers, which I think you mentioned earlier today a couple of times, that's actually now at 70.7. So going in the wrong direction. So they need to be hawkish. We just don't know the outcome. That all being said, we didn't, I don't think we collapsed today because we know a lot of these things. The market's down 19%. Sentiment is really negative. And seasonally, it's a good time, especially after midterm. So I kind of think we're going to slosh around here, unfortunately. And it's going to be certain sectors that do better, as you guys guys just talked about, uh, in terms of value over growth. Yeah, the S&P did finish uh, all of a maybe half percent above the the early morning lows. So really not too much of a victory. But yeah, the typical stock did better. It really has been uh, more intense selling pressure in the biggest growth stocks. It just doesn't seem like they've they've found that level uh, where they've gotten sold out. Um, Now, we could say the overall market holding up when mega cap growth has underperformed over the last three months by 20 percentage points or something like that maybe is is a net positive but for how long for certainly short i mean like look com services and tech is 35 percent of the s p 500 just by definition that tells you that they're still over owned energy even with the rally mike is only five and a half percent of the s p 500 however add in financials which have held in add in materials industrials and then healthcare, which is its own animal right kind of defensive and that kind of offsets those these technology groups and that's the good news right and I think 
think the, 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 the names I just mentioned, the value sectors, they are starting to get popular, yes. but still I think there aren't a lot of believers because energy would not be 5.5% of the S&P 500 if people actually believed. Yeah, it is a tricky time because even if you think, oh, the industrials start to act pretty well right here, yeah. it seems like there's beatable earnings estimates. You're still in a, in a game where the Fed seems to believe they need to engineer much more of a slowdown in the broad economy before we get where we're going. Absolutely. And so between now and the end of the year, I want to own those cyclical groups, the value groups. The industrials, we just talked about, have the pricing power. And that's and they've had surprisingly decent earnings, right? Energy, we talked about great earnings, great free cash flow. But sometime in 2023, I'm going to use the pivot word. We're going to want to change because we're going to see a lot slower growth in 2023. I don't know if it's a recession or just slow growth. Yeah. But that's when you could see potentially a rotation back into val uh, into growth. This is the answer to those who, who say, why does the market put, you know, set itself up for, like this all the time? It continues to have kind of the, the triumph of hope over experience and, and get excited. But because there's going to be a time yes. when the leading indicators of inflation actually show up in the numbers. Yes. And the Fed's going to be speaking hawkishly until the minute that happens. <laughs> right. And so then the market's going to try to get in front of it. Right. I would think that the market's going to get in front of it. Every time we get a, a, a better number on inflation, it's still high, but a little bit better, you kind of start to see the growth stocks rally, but then they peter out. And I think that people are selling the news instead of buying the weakness. And that's what's different in this part of the cycle. For sure. Uh, high equity exposures by uh, investors coming into this phase probably is part of the reason for that. We do have Expedia earnings out now. Seema Modi going through the numbers. Hey, Seema. Record quarterly revenue for Expedia in the third quarter, $3.62 billion, which is a slight beat on its on its top line. But earnings coming in at $4.05 adjusted a miss. Wall Street was looking for $4.12 adjusted. Gross bookings increasing 28%. So it is seeing that recovery year over year in, in bookings. But I would just point to... Uh, uh, booking Holdings, its main competitor, did see its gross bookings up 36% year over year in the third quarter. CEO uh, of Expedia, Peter Kern, will join me tomorrow first on CNBC on Tech Check. Big question on the earnings call, though, in about 30 minutes time, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, Mike, will be on pricing. Booking Holdings yesterday said that even though travel is getting more expensive, they can hold on to that strong average daily rate. Airbnb suggested Q4 trends are softening. What exactly is Expedia seeing? And are we starting to see a shift in pricing power towards hotels? That will be the story. Uh, Mike, stock down about 6% here. Absolutely. And ticking lower still to a little more than 7%. Seema, thank you. Starbucks earnings also out. Pippa Stevens has those numbers. Hi, Pippa. Hey, Mike. Starbucks beating top and bottom line estimates for the fourth quarter. Earnings per share coming in at 81 cents on an adjusted basis, which was nine cents ahead of expectations. Revenue coming in at 8.41 billion ahead of the forecasted 8.31 billion. Now, global same store sales blowing past estimates, rising 7% while analysts had been looking for 4.2%. The rise was primarily driven by an increase in average ticket. We did, though, see the continuation of a post-COVID trend, which is diverging numbers between domestic and international. U.S. same-store sales were up 11 percent, while international was down 5 percent. That was primarily driven by a 16 percent decline in China's same-store sales. The country, of course, is Starbucks's second largest market. Now, this is the first quarterly update since Starbucks unveiled its reinvention plan back in September. Interim CEO Howard Schultz saying the company is positioned for profit 
profitable growth and value creation beginning in 2023. The call kicks off momentarily and we'll be looking for more specific guidance, Mike, on how 2023 is shaping up. All right, Pippa, we certainly will. Uh, and don't miss the Starbucks CFO on Squawk Box tomorrow morning as well. Those stock reacting positively, Steph. Um, Starbucks, what were we looking for? What did we get? I wasn't looking for much because they just had an analyst day back right. in September. But I was looking for the comps. What they came in at was across the board much better than expected. Global comps of 7% versus 4%. And China down 16 instead of down 25. I mean, that's a pretty good, num- <laughs> pretty good number. Sure. It's like less bad, right? Absolutely. But, you know, you have a very exciting story with the new CEO coming over from Reckitt. When he was at Reckitt, for the years that he was at the company, the multiple re-rated from 13 times to 18 times. He knows what he's doing. The stock actually outperformed substantially. He doesn't join until April. So right. maybe he'll make a, a cameo on the call. I don't know. But Howard Schultz is at the helm, and the two are going to be a great combination going forward. So I really like that stock, especially since it's down almost 30% year-to-date. Yeah, absolutely. It's taken uh, taken some punishment. Uh, let's now bring in uh, Keith Lerner of Truist, as well as Bryn Talkington of Requisite Capital Management. Bryn, uh, also a CNBC contributor to talk more about markets and these, uh, these numbers. Keith, uh, love your take on, on how the market has so far tried to digest what the Fed had to say after we got a pretty good rally through October. Uh, and, you know, today a little bit of second day unease, but not really falling apart. You know, great to be with you, Mike. I mean, on a relative basis, it held up OK after a tough day yesterday. But taking a step back, as you mentioned, when we came into October, the market was extremely oversold. We were telling our clients that we expected a reprieve. But there was a shift in our strategy last Friday when we had a big market move up. Um, our view is the risk reward was less favorable. So we downgraded equities, we upgraded fixed income, moved more towards a, a value tilt. And we think that's the right uh, way as we think about the next six to 12 months because you know, there's so much discussion about this Fed pivot. And I think the more important um, issue is, is the economy going to recession or are we gonna see a slowdown next year? And regardless of a pivot, I think the, the more likely scenario is that we do go into a recession and at best, earnings are flat to more likely down. And you're already, you know, even today after this pullback from yesterday, you're still trading at a 16% multiple or 16 times multiple. The 10-year average is 17, but those earnings likely come down. And the other part of this, Mike, is, you know, over the last 10 years, the, um, you know, the 10-year Treasury yield has averaged about 2%. We're more than double that today. So, you know, at this point of the equity cycle and where we are, we, we just don't think the risk reward is that favorable. Uh, for equities, and we would use bounces to become somewhat more defensive. And then just the last point, uh, Mike, you know, under the surface, we are seeing more opportunities. The equated S&P just made a four-year relative high, so we are seeing some opportunity below the surface yeah. in areas like industrials, energy, uh, and, and healthcare at this point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the weakness has absolutely recently been driven by the very top, the largest uh, stocks. Meantime, Coinbase earnings are out. Kate Rooney has those for us. Hi, Kate. Hey there, Mike. That's right. Coinbase here with a miss on revenue and a wider than expected loss for Q3. The company attributing that uh, to the crypto trading slowdown. Total revenue coming in at $590 million for the quarter. That was shy of expectations. The street was looking for $654 million. EPS, this was a loss of $2.43. Street was looking for $2.40 there. Transaction revenue also a miss. It was down 44% sequentially from the prior quarter. Again, because of that trading slowdown, margins were lower and thinner than expected, about 20% versus 32% expected. Subscriptions and services here were a bright spot. Analysts have been looking for this company to really diversify away from that transaction-based revenue. 
$211 million interest income made up about half of that at $102 million, so getting a boost there from rising rates. Monthly transacting users, $8.5 million. That was down 6% from the prior quarter. They also talk here about bringing down expense guidance from prior quarters. And so a little bit on the expense side, pairing back there. They also expend, uh, expect to bring down sales and marketing as well. Stock here dipping slightly, more than 2% after hours, Mike. Kate, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, relatively modest loss, but not a, not a whole lot of, uh, of Thanks, great guys. stuff uh, to work with in the corner. Uh, in the in the quarter, Bryn uh, on Coinbase, what are we looking for here? It's been a theme to see. You know, people are going to get leaner on the expense side of things when you have these very fast growth stories that have decelerated. Is there a way the company has uh, to navigate around just the general uh, overall volumes in crypto? Well, I think first of all, Brian has to do a complete pivot from this time last year when you know in the fourth quarter of last year they were hiring so many people and so i think on the earnings call we want to have him continue to say they're going to be fiscally disciplined while continuing to try to build out the platform right now though mike the platform is very highly concentrated with transactions and that's not going to change anytime soon i think the blackrock announcement as well as the google announcement that google was going to, was going to work with coinbase um, for their payment payment rail and for crypto on their cloud is positive. But once again, that's not going to be accretive this next this or next quarter. So there wasn't a lot to like about this this earnings report. I wasn't expecting anything great. What I will want to see though is tomorrow when it opens, the stock has been trading since May between around the mid 50s to the 70s. If it can stay in that range and consolidate, to me, that would be a victory right now. While crypto is still, I feel in this purgatory until we get some more regulation. Around, around the space. All right, yeah, uh, it is, yeah, some 30-some percent off of, uh, off of the lows, uh, Coinbase is. We also have DoorDash numbers. Uh, Deirdre Bosa has those for us. Hey, Deirdre. Hey, Mike, those shares popping more than 9% after adding 5.5% in today's session. And this is really on resilience and delivery and the guidance. Total orders and revenue growth accelerating on a quarterly basis. Better than expected outlook. Let me give you the numbers. Loss is wider than expected. 77 cent loss versus 60 cents expected. However, adjusted EBITDA coming in better than expected. And the difference here um, is EBITDA doesn't take into account those stock-based compensation. Um, so adjusted EBITDA, 87 million above 58 million expected. Revenues grow 33% year over year, $1.7 billion versus 1.63 expected. Um, as I mentioned, upbeat guidance also sees Q4 adjusted EBITDA of 85 to $120 million versus 91 million expected by the street. Marketplace GOV, these are gross order volumes. $13.9 billion to $14.2 billion. That's better than the $13.7 expected. So, Mike, good results and shares now up more than 13%. As I mentioned, they were already up 5.5% in today's session. Back to you. Yeah, a bit of relief uh, on that guidance, no doubt. Don't miss the DoorDash CEO on Squawk Box. That is tomorrow morning. And block earnings, meantime, also out. Back to Kate Rooney for those. Hey, Kate. Mike, that's right. Block with a beat on the top and bottom line. It looks like Cash App, that's uh, Square's Venmo competitor, uh, was better than expected here. A bright spot for the quarter. Revenue coming in at $4.52 billion. That was better than expected. Adjusted EPS of $0.42. Cents. Much better than expected. About $0.20 cents, uh, better than the estimates here. Gross profits, $1.57 billion. That was up 38%. Year over year, it looks like GPV gross payment volume was a miss at 54.4 billion. Street was looking for about 55. 
billion on that. Cash App, again, the revenue side of that, pretty strong here, $2.68 billion, better than the street was expecting. It also looks like Cash App has 49 million monthly transacting users, so some strong growth there. Also strength on the seller side, that's more of the, the restaurant and payment terminal side. Um, let's see here, no guidance yet, Mike. We may get some updates, Square and Block now. Tends to do that on the analyst call, we'll bring you any updates, but stock Wow, up more than 15% right now here yeah. after hours. Back to you. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty close to a low, but really bouncing uh, hard there. Looks like between DoorDash and uh, and Block on the spending side, things look okay in the past quarter. Thank you, Kate. Uh, Twilio earnings also now out. Frank Holland has those. Hey, Frank. Hey there, Mike. Uh, shares of Twilio down more than 14% after a mixed earnings, um, a beat on revenue and a smaller loss than uh, expected. The loss of 27 cents a share. But above the estimate of a loss of 36 cents a share. But when you look at the forward guidance, pretty light. Light when it came to revenue, but slightly better when it came to EPS. When you go back to this report, again, it was pretty mixed. Active users were under the estimate of 282,000. They reported 280,000 active users, but it was a slight beat when it came to gross margin and operating margin. Uh, in the release, the CEO said, like many companies, we're facing some short-term headwinds, but the long-term opportunity remains strong as companies continue to build their customer engagement strategies, become more efficient. Um, Twilio also having its investor day at 4.30 Eastern time, where it's expected to lay out more of its vision for the company going forward. With the end of cookies, Google deciding they're going to end the use of third-party cookies at the end of 2024. It's expected to be a big opportunity for Twilio. But earlier this week, a big downgrade, a double downgrade from Bank of America, cutting the price target from 175 to 85, weighing on the stock. A lot of questions about how this company is going to compete as other large players like Salesforce and Microsoft try to get into the customer engagement space. Again, shares of Twilio down 13%. Back over to you. All right, Frank, thank you very much. Yeah, at that, uh, at that price, uh, with the reaction to the numbers, it would be a new 52-week low for a stock that's already down 80%. And, um, Steph, this was a little bit of a, of a tour <laughs> through the, uh, the old growth favorites of 2020 and 2021, in yeah. a sense, right, yeah. with, with DoorDash and Block and, and Coinbase and Twilio. Um, is the world safe to, to, to be shopping in this category of stocks yet? I'm not comfortable with it, honestly. I mean, it, they, they were good numbers, but these stocks are down so much. I mean, 60 to 70 percent headed into the print, right? So so I, I think that um, you could trade them for sure. Um, but I think that until you have earnings and good valuations in a higher interest rate environment, it's going to be challenging. I think at best you, you chop around at these names. But I was really pleased to see the Starbucks numbers. That, yeah. that, that actually was a good one. They are stand out uh, at this point, too, in terms of the reaction now, Bryn, with something like Block, um, you know, clearly it, there's a, there's multiple pieces to that story with the the Bitcoin commitment as well as just you know competition on the on the core. Uh, numbers look like they they were probably better than feared, if nothing else. Sure, and and we'll see what happens on the call, but I think that bodes well for PayPal, whose earnings are you know eminent, and I, I think that between Cash App and Venmo, those rails. Of, of, of transaction, people, how people are transacting, go, transacting going forward is just going to continue to strengthen. That's why, you know, I like, I like PayPal over, over Block just because I feel like it has a much larger user base. And I like with Venmo what they're doing with Amazon as well. Sure. Yeah. And, and certainly a company with a lot uh, more heft to it in terms of, uh, of market value as well. Keith, you mentioned earlier you expect there to be further downside to earnings into next year, just in aggregate. Uh, how much do you think we have to brace for at this point? Because as you say, we're, we're in the zone of fair value, let's say, for the S&P if the numbers hold up. Obviously, if they, if they fall away, uh, not so much. 
Well, that's right, Mike. And that's the way we're looking at it. We think there's down. I think the first thing is, uh, are, are the expectations or is the likelihood lower or higher? We think lower. And even if you just assume that, I think, you know, stocks are not compelling given, you know, all this global central bank tightening in there. And historically around recessions, you go down about, you know, 20% in earnings, maybe because of inflation, you don't go, go down as much. That's what happened in the 70s. You didn't have as much as far as a, you know, earnings uh, decline. But again, if you look back at the big picture, um, Fair value isn't compelling at this point of the cycle. So I think it makes sense to be somewhat more patient. Going back to um, the equal weight index, Mike, which I know you look at as well, um, we're trading around 14 and a half. So a bit more reasonable there, pricing in you know, some more bad news. And I think this is going to be an area at the headline market. It's going to be tough to make a lot of traction. One quick point on technology, Mike. You know, as much as it's, it's down this year, the technology sector has outperformed the broad-based market uh, by over two or about 200 percent the last 10 years. It just made a big relative breakdown this week. And I think there's a lot of uh, investors still locked up in there because they've had so much gains that they don't want to sell. So I think you're going to continue to see a, a drip in that sector. And, and we think it's likely at best to be neutral to more of an underperformer as we look forward. Yeah, there was some numbers out this morning about how there's some retail net buying in some of the big fallen uh, tech name. So it seems like the muscle memory is, is still there. Uh, we do want to get to PayPal earnings, though. They are now out. Hi again, Kate Rooney. Hey, Mike. That's right. PayPal out here. It is looking like a beat on the top and bottom line and mixed on guidance. There is some news here about a partnership with Apple. I want to bring that to you first. It looks like they're bringing Apple tap to pay to PayPal merchants. So essentially merchants that use PayPal will be able to accept Apple Pay without extra hardware. PayPal adding Apple Pay as an option in its merchant platform. So that's what they call Braintree, those unbranded merchants. And then next year, they're adding PayPal and Venmo branded credit cards and debit cards to Apple Wallet. So it adds on a, a string of big partnerships for PayPal. We had Amazon out just a couple weeks ago. But as far as the numbers here, Mike, on revenue, we've got $6.85 billion. That was a beat. Adjusted EPS, a beat by 12 cents. That was $1.08. Active accounts for PayPal in line here, 432 million. They added 2.9 million accounts in the quarter. Total payments volume slightly below expectations coming in at 337 billion. That was up 14% on an FX neutral basis. It looks like the take rate is slightly higher than expected than Wall Street was looking for. And then mixed here on Q4 guidance. EPS is pretty much in line. Q4 revenue guidance looks to be slightly uh, lower than what the street was looking for. Back to you. Okay, thank you. And that stock down now 10%. Um, Bryn, uh, you know, partnerships, they've been kind of rolling a lot of these out, but a lot of them seem like it's just going to be one among many options. Uh, what about the, the core business performance here at PayPal? Well, I mean, just at the headlines, they added, what, 3 million users. They want to add 10 million new accounts for the year. I think on the call, what I want to hear is, you know, last quarter they announced, obviously, a very large buyback, $15 billion buyback. But I think more important, they are cutting cost. And they announced about $900 million in cost. I think for full fiscal year, they want over a billion three in cost. I think in this environment, as a fintech, Anything with tech in it, people want to hear that you're cutting costs and being fiscally di disciplined and focusing on your business. And last quarter, to me, was the first quarter in many that Dan Schulman and the C-suite really seemed focused of not trying to be everything to everybody, but really trying to focusing on that payments rail of Venmo, Venmo and just the PayPal ecosystem. So, you know, after the market trading can be very different than how it opens tomorrow. So we'll wait to hear after the call of where the stock opens up tomorrow. 
you know, Steph, uh, we're talking about a stock in PayPal that had traded as high as about 65 times earnings a year and a half ago. It's yeah. down to a market multiple, roughly a 16. So it really is all about do we think that they have a path to, to, to regrow? Yeah, and maybe they're being conservative on the guidance for 4Q. Everybody was worried about 4Q, and that's why the stock's down, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the overall quarter for 3Q was pretty decent, right? And they have been doing a good job on costs. There's a lot they can do. I think everyone is excited about Elliott and the, in, and the sure. involvement there. And so I think there are higher expectations. Even though the stock is down 58% of the year, I think there were higher expectations for a better quarter, better outlook. But let's just see about 2023. I, I have not owned it in years. It's getting very interesting, though. Yeah, and that buyback is now a significant percentage of the market cap. Very so true. we'll see if they, if they get that out there. Um, uh, Steph, Brian, Keith, thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Let's now get to our Twitter question of the day. We want to know, what is the next big catalyst for stocks? Is it the midterm elections, December's Fed meeting, seasonality, inflation data? Head to at CNBC Overtime on Twitter to vote. We will share the results later in the hour. And we're just getting started here in Overtime. Still to come, much more on this busy afternoon earnings session. But first, Cantor Fitzgerald's Eric Johnston joins me here at Post 9. Just one month ago, he got more bullish on stocks. We're very bullish and our, and our conviction is very high. We think the Fed's last hike is going to be December 14th. So we're a mere two months away from this Fed hike cycle being over. But now he's changing his tune. He explains why after this break. We're live from the New York Stock Exchange. Overtime is back in two minutes. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. Saving, researching, investing. Now you can take those investments to the next level with Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. I have an investment account with Schwab and a 401k with Fidelity, and I use Yahoo Finance to consolidate them so it's incredibly easy to manage. They've been helping great investors like you for over 25 years. So whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking to level up, Yahoo Finance can simplify things, putting all your tools and data in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a 360-degree look at the financial news cycle, from breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, and customizable charts. They've got you covered. You can see all of your 401k and other investments by securely linking your brokerage accounts. Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you see your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective helps smart investors become even better. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. We are back in overtime. Exactly one month after one of our most bearish guests turned tactically bullish, he's closing that call, now turning neutral on equities. Here with me now at Post 9 is Eric Johnston of Cantor Fitzgerald. Eric, good to see you. Mike, thanks for having me. Uh, So I would characterize you as being kind of, you know, in a core bearish stance most of this year. Uh, A couple of times you said, okay, it's time for a tactical rally. Things have gotten oversold, washed out. That's worked a couple of times, including early in October. Um, Got an 8% rally yesterday, yesterday afternoon. Uh, You said enough with that, neutral. Why is that? 
So a lot of our thesis had played out and really become consensus in the market. So our expectations were that earnings were going to be better than expected, uh, which they which they were, or better than feared. They, they certainly were. Um, the conditions a month ago were very oversold. Sentiment was very negative, and positioning was extremely negative, including CTAs that were very short. That has now, um, you know, been a big part of this of this rally. And then we also thought there would be an expectation that the Fed, the market would think the Fed is almost done, mm-hmm. and that that would cause a a rally, and that people would think, okay, and we might be able to have a soft landing in that scenario with the unemployment rate still at three and a half percent. And so here we are, fast forward a month, we got the eight percent rally. A lot of those things came became consensus, and then cyclicals have absolutely ripped on the thought that maybe we can get a soft landing. So it really all played out. So now we're taking a step back, uh, went to a, a neutral view, and now we're gonna reassess. And I do have you know, overall a negative bias uh, ov- you know, overall, but we are neutral right now. Weren't those conditions a month or so ago extreme enough that it would give some conviction that we could carry through past the midterm elections and see typical seasonal tailwinds might kick in and you might actually have a little more to it than just an 8% oversold bounce. So I think that that's one of the reasons why we went neutral because I think those dynamics are still in place where you still do have seasonality. Positioning overall is still, is still very light. The issue is, is that the Fed funds rate right now is expected to be 5% for all of 2023. Yeah. That is a massive headwind for equities, right? The two-year yield is now at 4.7%. Money market rates are going to be 5%. And so I don't think, I think when you look at what the ceiling is for equities, the ceiling has now moved down, Mm -hmm. where I think the upside in a really rosy scenario now based on where rates are and what the Fed is saying is probably between 3,900 and 4,000 in a very rosy scenario. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, on the downside, we can talk about that. There's plenty of uh, potential downside. Yeah, we were were showing you you had thought perhaps you'd get to a point where the December hike by the Fed might be the last one. And that does not seem what we're set up for. It does not. So the part of the rally was people thinking that they're almost done or maybe that would be the last hike. And we thought that that's... We no longer think that that's going to be uh, the case. I mean, the key, the key from yesterday with what Powell said, the one line is he's rather would over tighten yes. and be able to repair that later because they have those tools. Well, if he's in a situation where he has to use those tools, that means equities are much lower. For right. Sure. So it's not a good not a good place to be. Most likely. Now, you mentioned cyclicals have ripped. Um, we've been talking about how there's been this huge downside momentum in the largest Nasdaq stocks. But you were just saying you actually like those names. We think right here they look extremely attractive relative to cyclicals. So what's happened is you've had this massive rotation really quick in the last week out of Meta, Google, Amazon, and into industrials, uh, energy, and financials. And we think that has extended far too much. And if you look at 2023, the big concern now, especially with rates at 5%, is that the likelihood now of recession is now going up based on where rates are. So if we're going into recession, do you want to own levered companies that are cyclical at high valuations? Or do you want to own these mega cap names that are now beaten down? Valuations are very attractive. They're cheaper than industrials right now with great balance sheets and business models that have much more secular growth that should do much better in a recession. And you're getting these right now at these extreme levels. And so at minimum for a short-term trade, we think that there's big reversion to come in the coming you know, days and weeks. All right. Would be, uh, would be an interesting turnabout and definitely a contrarian take. Appreciate it. Eric, thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike.
All right. Well, some news of our own today. The news with Shepard Smith is ending its daily newscast on this network. Shep and his team delivered the highest standard of journalism in a fact-based, nonpartisan broadcast right here at 7 p.m. for more than two years. We thank them for their dedication to that mission. You can expect in the new year, including on CNBC at 7 p.m., we will continue to bring you all the day's most important business and markets stories. And we will have more on the latest earnings and market moves right after this quick break. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Major averages posting their third straight down day. Our next guest says, while the bear bounce could have more to go, there are still new lows ahead. Joining us now is Evercore ISI Senior Managing Director Julian Emanuel. Uh, Julian, uh, I guess we're still calling it a bear bounce. We're up a bit off the, off the lows of a few weeks ago, uh, but certainly held in check in the lower end of this range. What do you think the market is most acutely uh, kind of challenged by right now? Aside, you know, is it just what the Fed said yesterday or are the earnings also uh, something that we're going to slip on? Well, well, we'll start with the earnings. It's a little bit less of an issue, Mike, actually, because if you think about it, this quarter is shaping up a lot like uh, the last reporting quarter in July and August, which is part of the reason that you've had this rally. We know downgrades were coming. They arrived. Uh, and in fact, the last several days have seen a little bit of stability to those earnings downgrades. But again, it goes back to this entire thing. And today is a perfect microcosm of the fact that, you know, the Fed basically came out sounding more hawkish than expected. Uh, you had the move higher in bond yields. You had the stronger dollar reaction. And of course, in this year where you've got an almost perfect correlation between stocks and bonds, you had the sell-off led by the more yield-sensitive growth sectors. And to us, it's the right time of the year to expect that to uh, come to a halt and perhaps have a rally, a uh, continuation of this bear market rally. But we still have some uncertainty uh, to get through, again, the reverberations of the Fed and the elections next week. Uh, the elections next week, and yet that's something that people have been putting in the bear category, I mean, the bull category, in terms of once you get past it, historically, it tends to be uh, a pretty decent little trigger uh, for, for a year-end uh, seasonal strength. The other thing I, I wonder if people are going to be pointing to is, look, we're talking about a retest of the lows. It wasn't October a retest of June. We haven't gotten downside momentum to, from there. The volatility index was actually down today uh, after we got past the Fed. Yeah, it's interesting because when you think about the volatility in indices, all the volatility itself is actually being felt in the fixed income markets. Extremely unusual. Uh, and for us, it, when you think about a year like this year, the ups, the downs, the really the roller coasters centered around these macro relationships, uh, you mentioned that it is our view that you're likely to get a new bear market low at some point in the next six to 12 months. 
But given the volatility that we see and the potential for a cessation in the uptrend in yields sometime as the Fed backs away, they will eventually back away. You could actually get a good market next year because history says that post midterms tend to be very good uh, for stocks, among other reasons. And how would you, I guess, tactically navigate around these issues right now in terms of the kinds of things to emphasize? If you think yields are about to peak or or in the process of peaking, is that is that speaking in favor of of fixed income or bond like stocks or, uh, you know, is, is the cyclical trade still okay? So we do think yields are are interesting here. Uh, This is the first time we've uh, felt good about longer duration since 2019. But that having been said, if you think about it again, the Fed will continue for a time pushing up the short end at the same time that even though inflation is going to start coming in a little bit, um, it needs to, uh, that is still uh, elevated inflation good for the value trade. So we think there's a a bit more room uh, in terms of value outperformance, financials, healthcare, energy has obviously been a standout the entire year. Uh, Interestingly enough, it still trades cheap on 2023 projected earnings. Uh, So for us, uh, that's where we see market leadership evolving. Big picture, Julian, if you do think that there's a pretty high likelihood of further bear market lows, we, we've been in this for, let's say, over 10 months uh, in terms of when the markets and when valuations peaked. If we're getting lows maybe sometime into next year, is this going to start to look and feel like one of those prolonged multi-year bear markets like in the early 2000s or to some degree uh, 08, 09? We don't think it's 08, 09, uh, simply because there aren't the stresses in the financial system to, by any stretch of the imagination. And it's not 002 because you don't have, although you know growth is arguably still overvalued relative to value, it's not nearly the extremes that we saw. So from that perspective, the PE compression that we've seen this year has really done a lot of damage or corrected a lot of the excesses. Now it's more of a wait and see as to whether we are going to get that recession that the majority of the people that we speak with believe you're going to get. Ed Hyman views it at basically a 50-50 probability. Um, If you get that recession, there is a further leg down. But as a long-term investor, you need to be prepared to buy down another 10% and then another 10% after that because, frankly, you've been rewarded for 40 years doing that, and we think that mm-hmm. mantra continues. Yeah, and when the turn comes, it often is quick at the beginning, so we'll see how, Absolutely. how that plays. Julian, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Good to talk Thank to you. Thank you. All right, up next, check out shares of PayPal and Block moving in opposite directions after reporting just a few minutes ago. We'll get instant reaction to those numbers from an analyst ahead of those conference calls. We'll be right back. Two fintech stocks moving in opposite directions right now in overtime. Block soaring while PayPal under serious pressure right now. Both companies reporting earnings just minutes ago. Joining us now is Argus Research Director of Financial Institutions, Steve Bigger. Uh, Steve, uh, let's start with, with PayPal. Uh, in terms of the reaction, what are we seeing in these numbers, which, you know, on a, on a surface level looked OK, but the market not so, uh, not so much liking it? Yeah, hi, Mike. I, I think look, the the revenues did come in about as expected, uh, and you know, and so the the but the payment volumes were light. Gross payment volumes did come in 
a little bit lighter here. And I think, you know, the guidance, if you look at uh, four core, uh, fourth quarter and, and full year uh, here, relative to the earnings beat, uh, was also, you know, a little bit disappointing. I, I think there, virtually all of the of the uh, upside in that uh, wasn't uh, was accounted for in, in the earnings beat. So, you know, that that's one thing. Um, but you know, on the on the positive side here, it does look like um, the uh, within the earnings beat and and revenues in line uh, was that uh, they must have pulled some expense levers uh, in in a pretty significant way to get that uh, outperformance in the in the earnings beat. So. Uh, so I think that is a positive here uh, going forward. There has been some strategic concern, I guess, among investors about, you know, the, the mix of revenue, some of the lower margin offerings uh, by PayPal. Is it is it a matter of them, you know, not necessarily having as as strong a franchise in the payments uh, ecosystem as was previously believed? Or are we just talking about, you know, valuation compression that's happened to a lot of growth stocks? Well, I, I think there's an element of that, perhaps. Uh, you know, PayPal uh, did not do themselves uh, too many favors in the first couple of quarters this year, where they uh, they continually guided lower, um, and uh, so that you know led to some concerns. Uh, but they have looked at, at focusing on more profitable customers. Uh, I did notice that the take rate uh, this quarter did uh, did bounce up, uh, which is also encouraging. So I think it is mm -hmm. that that element of focusing on the more profitable uh, customer that that you know again is a positive. What's the main takeaway from Block? Uh, this is a stock down almost 80% from the highs going in, getting some uh, relief uh, in this bounce after the results. Indeed, yeah. I think, the, uh, of course, in the case of Block the, the out the, uh, versus the consensus, it was a much uh, broader beat. Um, again, gross payment volumes came in a bit lighter. Revenue is about in line with expectations. So I think you've got, again, another expense lever story here. Uh, and... Um, you know, I think the, the the big difference between these two companies with uh, with, with Block is the, the who focuses on the small and even micro merchant, uh, and uh, you know held up a little bit better uh, probably in this, and their take rate is is quite a bit higher as well. So you know, more profitable customer for every gross dollar uh, uh, that comes in. Um, PayPal obviously yeah. much much larger merchants, uh, lower take yeah. rate there. Uh, it's a, it's a little bit of a uh, more of a headwind than than Block faced in this quarter. Absolutely. Steve, thanks very much. Appreciate the update. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're tracking some other big stock moves in overtime. Christina Parsonevel is standing by with them. Hey, Christina. Hi. Well, it looks like fans around the globe were itching to go see concerts in person and Live Nation reap the benefits. And a new report says the CEO of a major pharmaceutical company is out just hours after announcing a big settlement over the opioid crisis. I'll have all those details next. We are tracking the biggest movers in the OT. There are a lot of them. Christina Parsonevelos. Yeah, there are a lot. I have to pick only three. Carvana, an online marketplace for used cars, and its shares right now are plunging 8% after revenue fell short of expectations. That's an actual 8% year-over-year decline in Q3. Uh, and then the company that says used cars are actually depreciating at a faster rate and that higher interest rates are impacting demand and profitability. The company plans, uh, which, sorry, they're saying that they plan to rapidly decrease expenses. No details on how they do that. No 2023 guidance either because forecasting uh, the coming months, according to them is very difficult. Live Nation is one of the top 
Over time, S&P gainers right now, after reporting a year-over-year increase of 63%, fans clearly want to go to shows. The company had the highest quarterly attendance with over 44 million people across 11,000 events. Sponsorship also had its biggest quarter driven by festivals and online partnerships. The street likes the news stock up 4% right now. And we have the Dow Jones reporting that Teva Pharmaceuticals is replacing its CEO, Care Schultz, who's been at the helm since 2017. So just today, New York State reached a $523 million settlement related to Teva's role in fueling the country's opioid crisis. The stock was down now up uh, 1% in the OT. Mike, back over to you. Christina, thank you. We have a news alert on Twitter. Julia Borston has details. Hi, Julia. Hi, Mike. We're getting a report from The Wall Street Journal that General Mills, Audi, Pfizer and a growing list of other companies are pausing their ads on Twitter. We have previously reported that General Motors, um, as well as the IPG Interpublic Group, are among those that are uh, IPG telling its clients, it's an ad conglomerate, that they are going to wait and figure out what's happening with Twitter before they move forward with advertising. This latest report talks about how Musk sought to reassure advertisers in a meeting, but that advertisers are concerned about Musk's plans for content moderation. He's described himself as a free speech absolutist and also about the departure of so many of those top executives. So this is one to watch. We are reaching out to Twitter for comment. We will also reach out to those big brands, but certainly um, it will be interesting to watch how Musk retains those key advertisers. Back over to you. Interesting for sure, Julia. Thank you very much. Up next, Expedia's conference call underway. We'll run through the big headlines right after this break. A quick check on shares of Expedia. Our Seema Modi has been on that company's conference call. She joins us now with some highlights. Hey, Seema. Hey, Mike. And CEO of Expedia, Peter Kern, says he really hasn't seen any material signs of a fall off in travel demand or consumers trading down, though he did cite some macroeconomic uncertainty and the short term impact of Hurricane Ian, uh, though he did reiterate that average daily rates uh, remain substantially elevated. Expedia also has further deleveraged its balance sheet, paying down more debt, uh, improving loyalty membership as well, following that big revamp of its platform that we saw this summer, uh, current mentioning increased engagement and higher revenue per customer. So the sense I got on the call, and it's still ongoing, is that Expedia's investments are showing up in higher repeat customers, though I think it's just becoming a much more competitive landscape, Mike. The, uh, we're seeing this recovery in travel, but gross bookings, growth of 28% year over year. That is impressive, yes, but it's still lower than what its competitor booking holdings brought in, which was growth of 36% year over year. Uh, Expedia turning, uh, turning around here. It was down as much as 6%, right, in extended trade, now up fractionally. Mike? Little comeback during the call. Seema, thanks very much. Last call to weigh in on our Twitter question. Head to at CNBC Overtime to vote, and we will bring you the results after this break. Overtime will be right back. PayPal shares dropping. Kate Rooney just off the phone with CEO Dan Schulman. Here's what he had to say. Hey, Kate. Hey, that's right, Mike. The stock drop appears to be about the cut in revenue forecast. There's also lower payment volume guidance. In light of this economic cli- uh, climate, Dan Schulman just talked about this. I just got off the phone with the PayPal CEO. He says, quote, clearly, if you look at both the lower income and even the medium income segments, they're cutting back on their discretionary spending. He says the higher end consumer is still spending quite robustly, but almost two thirds of them are now feeling the pinch. He says they're starting to take on more debt. He says we have to be prepared for all economic cycles. 
And that's exactly what they're doing, he says. Back to you. All right, Kate, appreciate it. That'll do it for Overtime. Fast Money begins right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.